Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, April the 1st, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend series. The Gamecocks put their six-game winning streak on the line as they head to Athens, Georgia, to take on the Georgia Bulldogs in yet another SEC series. Guys, I'll break down the series in its entirety. We'll talk about the dogs, their pitching, their hitting. Also, of course, South Carolina, the rotation, what to watch for, my key player for this weekend. Also, guys, We've got your listener questions and a fantastic conversation as Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South joins me to talk spring football, Shane Beamer, the 2021 football season. Guys, we got all that and more here on a pack Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and guys, everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. The show is also brought to you by our friends over at my bookie guys march is here the madness has officially begun and it's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the non-stop action with my bookie guys it doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets betting the national championship winner or simply looking for player and game props my bookie has you covered guys you can sign up today at mybookie.ag and when you do use the promo code gamecocks and that's promo code gamecocks to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. And guys, make sure that you use my promo code so they know that I hooked you up. Again, that's promo code Gamecocks to claim your first deposit bonus. Guys, college ball, NBA, NHL, no matter the sport, no matter the minute, my bookie puts the action in your hands. Within game live betting with choices from thousands of lines and odds, you can turn any game day into payday. Guys, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Let's get it. Georgia to hell to hell to hell with Georgia to hell to hell to hell with Georgia the cesspool of the south what is going on folks happy Thursday hope you're doing well I'm Chris Phillips shows the Spurs up show as always and of course with that intro you guys know it is officially Georgia weekend to hell with Georgia to hell with Georgia in every sport, it doesn't matter whether it's football, basketball, baseball, badminton, golf, women's tennis, equestrian, doesn't matter what it is. It's always now and forever will be to hell with Georgia. Folks, again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show, as always. Before we get going really quickly, I do want to let you guys know and remind you, if you haven't seen yet, I'm something I'm really excited about 
We dropped some brand new baseball merch on our store, tsus.store. As of yesterday afternoon, guys, some merch that I'm really, really excited about. And again, if you're a big Gamecocks baseball fan, you're going to absolutely love this. We've got our Yardcocks baseball line and our oot-oot. You guys remember oot-oot, Mr. Bill Golding? We've got oot-oot t-shirts, guys. And we've got stickers as well. And there'll be more stuff coming like tanks, hoodies, hats, everything you can think of. So again, the merch is rolling here on a Thursday, folks. And again, by the way, Happy April. April the 1st, 2021. We officially have made it to April, but again, really excited about that merchandise. Hey, for any Gamecocks fan, but certainly any Gamecocks baseball fan, you guys are going to absolutely love this. So again, check out the store, tsus.store. I also do want to say, I want to take a second to say how grateful I am and thankful I am for you guys, for the love and support. We had a fantastic week in regards to content, in regards to content production and engagement and everything else. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to the show, supporting the content, showing love to the content. Honestly, you guys are the real MVP. And again, I thank you guys so, so much for everything that you do. Because again, without you guys, the Spurs Up show wouldn't be what it is. So thank you again so much. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it, guys. Because again, like I said, to hell with Georgia. This is a big weekend. The Gamecocks go on the road to Athens, Georgia, Foley Field, to take on the University of Georgia Bulldogs Friday at 6 o'clock, Saturday at 2 o'clock, and then Sunday at 1 o'clock. Guys, all three of those games can be seen on SEC Network Plus. And, oh, by the way, quick reminder, we are doing live watch-along streams for all three games. If you want to watch the games with yours truly, you can find that on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Again, Friday at 6, Saturday at 2, and Sunday at 1 o'clock. Again, of course, Georgia of the SEC East, their head coach is Scott Strickland. 2021 record for the Dogs. They currently sit at 17-7 and overall, 2-4 and in the SEC. Georgia losing their first two SEC series to Tennessee, 2 out of 3, and then Texas A&M, 2 out of 3. Georgia coming off, though, a midweek win over the Clemson Tigers on Tuesday night. So, again, Georgia, we thank you so much for beating up on Clemson, but now, hey, it's to hell with you yet again as we take on the dogs this weekend. Guys, let's move into a breakdown of Georgia because, again, this is a really, really interesting team. This Georgia team last year, they, they were really a program that really got hit hard by COVID. And what I mean by that is this. You know, not only, of course, everybody lost the season last year, but that Georgia team last year, that was probably the best Georgia baseball team since... The Gordon Beckham days, I mean, honestly, that Georgia team last year had a real shot at Omaha, and it's unfortunate for the dogs and the folks in red and black because that team, like I said, really had a shot to do some special things, and you lose a lot of those guys that you had, especially on the pitching side. With that being said, let's talk about those Georgia pitchers. Again, you lose a ton. Emerson Hancock, Tucker Bradley, Logan Moody, Cole Wilcox. Again, we're talking about guys that were high 90s with the fastball, explosive breaking stuff. All were high draft picks. And again, it's a really tough task for any team, but especially Georgia, to have to replace all those guys. I will say, though, this year's Georgia staff doing a pretty good job, at least by the numbers, a three overall team ERA. Their starting rotation guys will look like this. The dogs will roll out on Friday. Left-handed pitcher Luke Wagner, he's 3-2 and of the 2.95 ERA. Saturday, it'll be left-handed pitcher Ryan Webb, 2-0 and of the 1.59 ERA. And then Sunday, the righty, Jonathan Cannon, who's 1-1 one one with a 3.07 ERA. Of course, you heard the interesting thing about Georgia. Two of their three weekend starters are southpaws. I mean, normally, if you just see one southpaw, it's, it's you know, like, oh, my goodness, hey, they got a lefty in the starting rotation. Georgia's Friday and Saturday, guys, are lefties. And we're going to talk about the little bit, that a little bit more and how that affects this weekend series in just a second, guys. Let's move over to the hitting side of things, the dogs, because, again, it's a team that on paper has been fairly decent, hitting 282 as a team overall. They've got 23 home runs in 24 games, a 355 on base percentage. Not great overall, 10 for 15 in stolen bases. They do like to run a little bit. Let's look at the strikeout numbers really quickly. I didn't look at that. Georgia has struck out 159 times. So not terrible. You know, in 24 games, 159 Ks, not an awful number. On the flip side, their pitchers have struck out. 233 batters. They've also walked 112, but they've struck out 233 batters. So, you know, damn near averaging 10 strikeouts game. So Georgia on paper, you know, this isn't a bad ball club. Yes, they've lost their first two SEC series, but not a bad ball club when you look just purely at the numbers. Let's look at some players to watch for for Georgia. We've got to start with infielder 
Connor Tate, he leads their team in average with a 363 mark. He's also got three home runs and 15 RBIs. Another big player on that infield for Georgia and in that lineup, Josh McAllister hitting 338, leads their team with five home runs. He's got 13 RBIs to his credit. And then this last guy I'm going to talk about, it feels like he's been at Georgia for eons, for decades. And again, he is a redshirt senior, but outfielder Riley King. I feel like I've heard the name Riley King, I mean, forever. I mean, it, it has been, he. I think he was there when South Carolina won back-to-back national titles. Heck, I don't know. But anyways, Riley King in 312 on the season, two home runs, and 14 RBI to his credit. So again, this is a Georgia team that lost a lot from last year's team. That was a damn good ball club. You guys remember, they were ranked top 10 like all year long. Preseason top 10, top five team. And again, lost a ton, but still some really, really good players and some talented players on that team. And maybe Georgia a team being slept on a little bit. You know, they, I think they were picked to finish fifth in the SEC East. You know, not really picked to do a whole lot. Not, not nationally ranked, not preseason ranked. They're not currently ranked now. But do not sleep on this Georgia Bulldogs team. Again, they do have talent all over the field. Let's take a look at South Carolina, guys. The weekend rotation is going to look like this. Of course, Friday, Saturday, right-handed pitcher Thomas Farr. Saturday, right-handed pitcher Brandon Jordan. And then Sunday, the freshman. Will Sanders will get his first SEC start on the road against the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, guys, let's dive into what to watch for for this weekend series. And again, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it's not often that you see two Southpaws in the weekend rotation for any team, any SEC team especially, but that's what you have with Georgia. The Friday and Saturday guys, both uh, both Wagner and Webb, both lefties and both, again, very good records respectively, three and two with a 295 and two and oh with a 159. With it being a lefty lefty heavy weekend, how does that impact the South Carolina lineup and the approach overall? You know, we saw South Carolina on Sunday against Florida shift uh, David Mendham out of the lineup. Wes Clark played first. Do we see more of that? Does that impact David Mendham's spot in the lineup? Again, I don't think you're going to see South Carolina move Josiah Seitler or, you know, any other any of your other lefties. Now, you really don't have a lot of lefties in that lineup to begin with, but how does that impact the lineup and how does that impact the approaches overall, guys, you know, listen, you're not facing the power arms of Florida. I don't think you're going to see as many guys throwing 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. These are going to be more so crafty lefties. They're going to pick apart the zone. They're going to try to hit their spots. They're going to try to keep you off balance. You're going to have to make an adjustment. Go the opposite way. Go with the pitch. Don't swing at a pitcher's pitch. They're probably going to pitch you backwards a lot. What type of adjustment do the Gamecocks hitters make? And again, with it being lefty heavy, you haven't seen, I'd say, you know, a ton of lefties this year. How does that Gamecocks lineup, how does it change up its approach? How does it make an adjustment? And again, what do Mark Kingston and company do to combat going up against two lefties this weekend on Friday and Saturday? Another big thing I'm watching for, guys, is this, and I just mentioned about Will Sanders. Again, I think Will Sanders has pitched beautifully this season, especially to be a true freshman. This kid has extremely great mound presence, doesn't pitch like a freshman. He acts like a junior or a senior. And obviously the stuff, it speaks for itself. I mean, a kid that's throwing 95, 96 effortlessly, he's got exploding breaking stuff, got a plus changeup, guys. Again, I've talked about him over and over again. And the numbers really do speak for themselves. But again, this is a different animal. You know, on the road, his SEC road debut. And again, this is a kid that has pitched in big moments on the road. He pitched at Texas. He pitched against Clemson and Greenville. It's not, you know, he pitched uh, He pitched against Vandy. It's not like this is going to be his first ever road appearance. But again, we all know in the SEC, this is a different animal. How does Will Sanders handle it? And also, how do the Gamecocks approach that Sunday game? How do they approach that? Do we see another mix of Sanders and Bosnick? Is there a little bit more Brett Carey involved? How do the Gamecocks, how do Skyler Meade, Mark Kingston approach that? And I, I really believe that Will Sanders is going to be set up to, to make a big impact for this team. And, hey, like I said, yet again, you know, that's Sunday game. Who knows? You know, do not sleep on the Georgia Bulldogs. The goal is to win every single series you play. The goal is to win two out of three. It might come down to a Sunday rubber match. Will Sanders making his, his road debut as a starter in the SEC should be a lot of fun to watch. And again, I, I think this is a kid, Will Sanders, that the sky is the limit for him. I think he's going to be the Gamecocks Friday night starter next year. I think he definitely has that type of potential. Speaking of the South Carolina pitchers, something else I'll be looking for this weekend. You know, let's face it, the Gamecock pitchers have been dominant this year. I, I think they're still leading the country in strikeouts per game and 
And it, it's just crazy, you know, with the – I've talked about before the, the way that Mark Kingston and Skylar Mead through recruiting and everything else have flipped this pitching staff with these young guys especially to have guys that it feels like every single guy coming out of that bullpen throwing 94, 95 with nasty stuff and strikeouts ha- have just become – you know, something we've become accustomed to. You know, all of these South Carolina pitchers have nasty stuff. They can all strike guys out. Can the Gamecock pitchers keep up their dominance this weekend? Because, again, baseball's a game where, listen, if it's not one thing, it's another, right? And I do believe I do believe this is a South Carolina staff that's going to give you a chance to win each and every single time you take the field. You know, the, the pitching is going to give you that opportunity. It's going to give you a chance to win all three games this weekend, and I think it's going to give you a chance to win all three games each and every single weekend you play in the SEC. But there's going to come a time. You know, there's some games where your pitching has to pick up your hitting. There's some games where your hitting's got to pick up your pitching. Is this that weekend where, hey, your hitting may have to do a little bit more. Maybe it's an off weekend for your pitchers. And I'm not, I'm not trying to speak that into, into existence or, or say that's going to happen. But it's just the nature of baseball. You, you'd be foolish and ignorant to think that, that that's not at some point going to happen, at least in one game. You know, your pitchers have been so good this year. Again, can they keep up that dominance? Can they keep that going? Is this another impressive weekend for this South Carolina pitching staff? Or do your bats have to do a little bit more? Do you have to ask a little bit more of them? Again, I feel really, really good about this staff. I think they're going to give you a chance to win each and every single time you take the field. I think they're going to give you a chance to win each and every single SEC series you have. I'd expect Far Jordan, and Sanders to be fantastic. And then your first guys out of the pen, I mean, Peters, Mahoney, you know, Brett Carey, Danny Lloyd, uh, Jackson Phipps. You know, I, I think these guys are going to be fantastic for you. No question. Julian Bosnick, I, I think they're going to be fantastic for you. But again, can they keep up that level of dominance we've seen at the beginning of this season? Should be really interesting to watch against the Georgia lineup that, like I said, is respectable. Hitting 282 this year, they're not a bunch of scrubs. That Georgia lineup can swing it a little bit, especially the top of their lineup. Should be a lot of fun to watch that battle. Something else I'm looking forward to is this. Colin Burgess, what is his health like this weekend? A huge piece of this team, a key cog in this machine. You know, Mark Kingston talked about it after the um, the Gardner-Webb game, just basically saying I think he had a bruised foot or bruised uh, bruised leg or thigh or something like that. And, and I thought it was smart to give Burgie the day off, give him the night off against uh, Gardner-Webb. You know, I think he's caught like five or six games in a row. And, you know, you have other catchers, and, and you have other catchers. You need catching depth for that point because it's really, really tough to ask a guy to catch every single game throughout a season. What is the status of Colin Burgess? Again, I fully expect him to play. I I have no questions that Colin Burgess will play all three games this weekend. This dude's as tough as nails, and he's going to do whatever he has to do to be out there to help his team and to be a wall for South Carolina back there as he's been each and every single weekend this season. But what is the health like for him? Do we see it flare up? Is he limited in any capacity? I'll be really interested to see that. And again, Colin Burgess is such a key piece for this team you just wonder. You don't want it to get any worse. Do you have to use Wes Clark for a game? Do you have to use Connor Sino at any point? What is the health like for Colin Burgess? Because, again, guys, we saw last weekend just how big of a piece he is with that Friday night game and that walk-off he had on Friday and then you know hitting a home run on Sunday. He's somebody you desperately need in this lineup and somebody you need to be healthy for the rest of the season as well. So what is the status of Colin Burgess against the Dogs? Uh, something else I'll be watching. We're speaking of the Gamecocks lineup. You know, Georgia, like I said, they lost a lot of guys from last year with Hancock, Bradley, Moody, Wilcox. I mean, they, they lost some dudes with some real stuff and some real talent. This South Carolina lineup, you, you take a look at two different things. You know, South Carolina, and, and let's look at Georgia really quickly. I, I want to see their schedule. How have they thrown it in their two SEC series? Let's see. So against Tennessee, they gave up 11 runs, four runs, and four runs. And against AM, they gave up six, seven and four. Okay, so they've been okay. Not not nothing crazy, nothing dominant, but they've been okay. But you've got a Georgia pitching staff that has a three ERA, and you got a Gamecocks lineup that you know hit a little bit of a rut, if you will, when they face teams like Texas, like Vandy, but obviously swung it really, really well against Florida. Beat up on Gardner Webb's pitching staff, of course. Can the Gamecocks carry over that momentum? Can they stay hot? against a solid UGA staff. And I, I'm really excited, guys, about this lineup because, again, I, I think that 
you know, people didn't really recognize it and see it early on in the season, but facing arms like Ty Madden and Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, I don't think people realized how beneficial that was going to be for this team. Because people, I remember in the Vandy series, were saying, oh, you know, it's only going to get tougher. It's only going to get tougher. And I made the point, no, it's not. You know, give all the credit in the world to Georgia and their staff and and what they've done to this point this season. Again, a three overall team ERA. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn good. But you're not going to see anything tougher than what you've seen the last three weekends with Texas, Vandy, and Florida. I think this is a really, really good opportunity for South Carolina's offense to build some major momentum, to continue building momentum. Because this team should have full confidence. If you can hit Florida, you can sure as hell hit Georgia's staff. I think the biggest key, like I said earlier, is going to be making those adjustments against a lefty-heavy staff. Again, they're going to pitch you different. They're going to pitch you backwards. It's going to be a lot of off-speed. It's not going to be quite the, the 95, 96, the power arms you've seen the last few weekends. If South Carolina can make that adjustment, we could see the ball flying all over Foley Field this weekend. And we could see this South Carolina lineup because, again, the pitching's there. We know that. This South Carolina team's got the pitching to beat anybody. But if you get the bats going and really get the bats fired up and you continue to build confidence, continue to build momentum, this can be a scary ball club. This is a ball club that can do some real damage this season. And on that note, again, I'm just looking for a team with a chance to build some serious momentum. You know, you beat Florida. You swept Florida last weekend. You've won six in a row. And I think, like I mentioned in the midweek, with, with the leadership on this team of guys like Brady Allen and Wes Clark and Andrew Eister and guys in that pitching staff, I fully believe this is a team that's going to come out. They're not going to take the dogs lightly because, you know, everybody going in this series is going to tell you, oh, you know, you should beat Georgia two out of three, maybe even sweep them. Georgia's not that good. You know, they're not even ranked. Look at you. You know, this team's getting patted on the back a lot and getting told how great they are and how Georgia stinks and all that. I don't think this team is going to let that chatter affect them or affect their mentality or affect their mindset or affect, affect the way they approach this weekend. You know, do not take, and I, I want to make that point to South Carolina fans, do not take the dogs lightly this weekend. No, they're not ranked. Yes, they lost a lot. But this is a team with talent. Scott Strickland's done a good job building this program. And Mark Kingston, I thought, made a great point after that Gardner-Webb game in his media availability when asked about, you know, the Georgia series and, and keeping your guys fired up, quote unquote, and, you know, oh, you, you faced Vandy, you know, uh, you faced Texas, Vandy in Florida, you know, how do you have that same, you know, do you, do you feel like you're going to have that foot on the gas pedal against Georgia? Dude, it's an SEC series. If you need somebody to fire you up to play in an SEC series, especially against the Georgia Bulldogs, you need your pulse check. You're just not your your heart's not beating if you're not fired up for this one. Again, we hate Georgia, we loathe Georgia, right? But again, I caution fans. I know this team doesn't need this warning, but I caution fans: do not take the dogs lightly. Do I feel good and confident about this series that South Carolina should have a great opportunity to go at least win two out of three? Yes, I do. But with that being said, it's a road series in the SEC. Like Mark Kingston said Tuesday night. Treat it with the respect that it deserves. This is not some scrub team. Like, with all due respect, this is not Gardner-Webb. This is not Winthrop. This is the University of Georgia. And I expect a great series this weekend. And again, this team has a real opportunity over the next two weekends to build some serious momentum before you get into another real tough spot in your schedule. Because you got Georgia this weekend, and then you got Mizzou. And then you get back into a real grind with four straight weeks of SEC West opponents, guys. You're going to be at LSU, Arkansas at home, at Ole Miss, Mississippi State at home. We all understand the challenge that presents and how that's going to be a gauntlet. So you better take advantage of a series like this. But again, do not take the dogs lightly. Anytime South Carolina and Georgia get on the field of play, no matter the sport, rest assured there will be dramatics involved, and I expect nothing short of that 
this weekend. All right, guys, let's move into key player of the weekend. And when you take a look at a series like this, like I said, guys, the I'm not really even worried about the pitching staff. I think the pitchers will do their thing. I really do. I, I feel extremely confident, especially, hey, a guy like Thomas Farr, he's due for a bounce-back game. You know, I, I'd expect all three of your starters that they're really well. I think your bullpen guys, they've been sharp as ever, and why would that not continue? But we want to continue to see the evolution of this lineup, right? And you want to build some consistency. I think that's the one thing Gamecock fans all want to see, especially from this lineup, is consistency. And so my key player for this weekend is Gamecock's outfielder and veteran leader, Brady Allen. Because I really believe this lineup goes as Brady Allen goes. This is a guy that, you know, when he's swinging it well, it just feels like everybody else swings it well. It feels like it's, it's, it's infectious. And, you know, at the top of the lineup, this is a guy that really sets the tone for this ball club. You know, I talked about him all preseason long in the sense of, you know, plate discipline, plate, discipline, plate vision, incredible, right? He's going to give you really tough at-bats. That's why he is in the leadoff spot. But it just seems like, again, guys, when Brady Allen's swinging it well, this entire team is swinging it well. And also just the impact. Hey, we saw it last weekend against Florida. The impact this dude makes in the field, I truly believe in the clubhouse and the dugout. I mean, this dude, I would probably say, is the undisputed leader of this ball club right now. Him, Wes Clark, again, Eister. I think when it comes to the position players, they are the leader of this squad. So getting Brady Allen going, I, I think it's going to go a long way in, again, having a successful weekend offensively. Because I think, again, we all, we all sort of agree the pitchers are going to do their thing. The pitching is going to give you a chance to win every ballgame. It's all about your hitting. You know, it's going to come and go. That's every college baseball team. The hitting is going to come and go, and you just got to hope it comes more than it goes. Pause. I keep saying that. I don't know why. <laughs> but you got to hope the hitting's consistent. What are you going to get out of him? It all starts with your guy at the top, an outfielder, Brady Allen. Again, what he can provide, not just in the lineup, but in the field, and being a leader for this team on the road. You know, you got to be road warriors once again. You've already done it in Nashville. Now you get to do it in Athens. Take on that road warrior mentality, and it starts with a guy like Brady Allen at the top of your lineup, getting your offense going, getting it going at 6 o'clock on Friday, and carrying it throughout the entire weekend. And I think that'll spell some good things for the Gamecocks at Foley Field. All right, that's going to do it, guys, for the series preview against the Georgia Bulldogs. I will give my full prediction for the series on tomorrow's show. So if you want to know how I feel the Gamecocks are going to do, Tomorrow's show will break it down. We'll continue to break down this series, and I will give my full prediction as the Gamecocks look to win back-to-back SEC series and extend their six-game winning streak. Should be a lot of fun, guys. To hell with Georgia. I hate Georgia. Absolutely loathe Georgia. With that being said, let's move into our listener questions, guys, and then we will dive into our interview, our conversation, if you will, with... Connor O'Gara, and I do apologize. I got the question box out late. Um, let's see. I got the question box out late yet again, and I, I do apologize for that. I th I'm actually thinking about changing things up when it comes to the questions and stuff like that, because I know we've usually done listener questions for the Monday, Thursday shows, the quote-unquote big shows, if you will. I think it'd be cool to do something different where it's more of like a true Q&A amongst fan of the shows and stuff like that. I don't know. Just stay tuned for that. That might be something we do. Let's move to the questions. We've got two here. Actually, we've got three. Brogan the o Theo Bald says, 2017 women's basketball versus 2021. Which team is better? I, I got to go with the 17 team and Asia Wilson. I, I mean, Asia Wilson's the all-timer, right? I, I got to go with the 17 team. Uh, each cart, E-Karch 08. Who is the real baseball team? The one that got swept by UT or the one that swept UF? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Is South Carolina quite as good as that dominating performance against Florida all three games? Eh. But is South Carolina as bad as that team that got swept at Texas? No. 
I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It's like Mark Kingston said earlier this season, and it's human nature. When you win and you have success, you tend to feel a little bit better than you probably should. And when you lose and you have failures, you tend to feel worse than you probably should. So I think this team, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, I, you know, I, I really do think this South Carolina team is a really high-quality ball club. But um, I, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But do give credit to Texas, man. That's a good ball club. It's a really, really good ball club. Let's not act like, you know, South Carolina went on the road and got swept by the Citadel. No offense. But let, let's not act like they, got, they went on the road and got swept by, like, some scrub team. I mean, Texas is good, dude. You, you know, it wasn't your weekend. It wasn't your weekend in Austin, but let's not act like they got swept by some, some middle-of-the-pack squad. I mean, Texas is really, really good. So, I think the Gamecocks are for real. I think South is legit. And, again, I, I think, though, the truth does lie somewhere in the middle. Final question here. I, I want to take a question from my buddy Phil. He asked about ideas for merch in regards to Basketball Jesus and how he's been doing. I think Basketball Jesus is okay. I think I saw him around CLA, Phil. So, just to let you know, I just saw your text pop up and, and wanted to address that. But I, I think Basketball Jesus is doing okay. We might have to put out some Gamecock Jesus merchandise. I don't know. Might need to get in touch with Gamecock Jesus himself. Anybody knows Gamecock Jesus's contact info, please let me know. Because I'd love to get him on the show, too, by the way. I think that'd be great. All right, guys. We got a great conversation upcoming for you. Hey, we're talking baseball, of course. We're in the middle of baseball season. Women's basketball chasing the national championship. But it's never too early to talk college football and to talk Carolina football specifically. And that's why I brought Connor O'Gara on the show, guys, of Saturday Down South. You guys know him. We had him on the podcast uh, way back early September. How much things have changed since we last spoke to him. So, again, guys, that's going to do it all for me for the series preview for Georgia. Like I said, tune in tomorrow if you want to hear my full prediction for the series. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, again, thank you guys so much for the love and support this week. Uh, the Daily Crow obviously rolling throughout the week, the podcast, and we have the live watch-along streams upcoming this weekend as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun as the content continues to roll on as we go into the month of April, guys. Again, thank you so much. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show once again, friend of the show, you might remember he was back on with us way back in the beginning of September, and we were joking off air, much has changed since then, but he's a senior national columnist for Saturday Down South and Saturday Tradition, and of course, he hosts the Saturday Down South podcast. Guys, very pleased to be joined by Connor O'Gara. Connor, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on once again, and I will say this as we were saying off air. It is great to be sitting here. April 1st is when this is coming out, and we are actually talking about football. Much has changed since the last time we spoke, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, what a crazy concept, talking about spring football instead of whether or not a season is actually going to happen and can they have fans in the stands and this and that. I mean, I have never been so excited just to be able to talk about three deeps and all this <laughs> stuff. Like, I'll, I'll talk about a, the Vandy's four two five. As yeah. opposed to talking about, you know, COVID protocols and stuff like that. Give me that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, and you, you make a great point, Connor. The last time you and I spoke, the main topic of conversation was, was a season going to happen? Well, a season did happen. And like you mentioned last year, South Carolina was in football hell. And uh, the season came and went. Will Muschamp is no longer the head coach, as we know, of course. And Shane Beamer got hired in that position. Let's go ahead and jump to the coaching search when it happened for South Carolina. I know we all remember when, when Will Muschamp finally got the ax and the search began and, and the usual suspects, I guess the names came up of Hugh Freeze, Billy Napier, amongst a host of others and South Carolina landed on Shane Beamer. Just talk about, you know, looking from your perspective, that coaching search, how it went down and were you surprised at all, I guess, that Shane Beamer got the job? Because again, I don't think his name was, you know, the most talked about or the most popular, but I think as that search went on and you know, I talked to former players and people and culture, culture, culture. That was the word that kept resonating over and over again. I think as that search went on, it seemed like Shane Beamer was the perfect fit. But what did that coaching search look like from your perspective? Same thing. I, I thought that in the beginning, this was going to be Hugh Freeze's job. I thought that there was no doubt they were going to make a big time move like that when you pay an eight-figure buyout to a head coach. That says to me, you're going to go and make a big splash after it. Now, we found out that it just wasn't necessarily the fit, and I, I thought that Billy Napier would have been a great candidate as well, but then 
the deeper you got into the search, you the more you heard about Shane Beamer and his ties to the area and what former players were saying about him. And I remember talking to Stephen Garcia about him and some of the points that he brought up about just a guy that everybody loved. And Stephen Garcia shoots it about as straight as any human being <laughs> on the face of the earth. Oh, yeah. And oh, I yeah. believe him when he says, I actually liked this coach, despite the fact that he really didn't have as much to do with my side of the ball and what I was necessarily handling. So I thought that was a good sign and someone who was just so respected in the community and the coaching community. I, I love this background. I, I thought it's so unique to have a guy who has been under such a variety of head coaches. I think too often we get caught up in the coach who has worked in this coaching tree or that coaching tree. And he's a guy who's basically from every coaching tree. And I think that that's kind of the guy, the jack of all trades guy that you need at South Carolina. We get so caught up in talking about which which guy can be the best offensive play caller and which which up and coming offensive mind would work best. And I get it, and it has its merits. Don't get me wrong, but I think someone who has the experience of Shane Beamer and can be in all of those different areas that it takes with being the CEO of the program, which is what he is. I think that's going to be beneficial, and I thought it made a lot of sense that it went in the direction that they did. Yeah, speaking to how genuine Stephen Garcia is, when we had Stephen on the show, I, I asked him about Billy Napier because I think Billy was the the OC at Clemson while he was in college, and Stephen's response was, who the F is that guy? F that guy. <laughs> so, yeah, he shoots it about as straight, like you said. As, I as like Billy Napier. Will. I like Billy Napier. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah. record show. I yeah, you know, for sure. I, I, you know, I don't have any problem with it. That's just Stephen Garcia being Stephen Garcia, though. But anyways, I, I want to ask you about Shane Beamer's staff, Connor, because that was the thing I think that when – Coach Beamer was hired. Again, like you said, he, he's coached under so many great coaches, been a part of some great organizations. But one of the things that was sold when he was hired was, you know, oh, he's going to go out there and hire an all-star staff. You know, obviously what he's getting paid is, is much, much lower than I'd say his peers across the SEC. You hire Marcus Satterfield as your OC, Clayton White as your DC, some other notable position coaches, Torian Gray, Justin Stepp. I think this these assistants have a nice mix of veteran guys who have NFL experience and also young, hungry coaches. But I know there were some fans that were kind of on the fence. You know, Marcus Satterfield's kind of an unknown commodity. Clayton White's done some nice things, but at smaller schools. What's your overall take on the assistants that Shane Beamer brought in to help him out? It's a tough thing to sell when Auburn pretty much comes in and poaches your staff the way that Brian Harsin <laughs> right. did. That's tough. Don't get me wrong. And it makes you feel like you're the redheaded stepchild of the league. Now, I don't think that's the case for South Carolina. But, you know, I think that Shane Beamer is going to be able to attract big time assistance in the future. And if there are people who weren't necessarily satisfied with hiring someone like Marcus Satterfield or going out and getting a former running back, you know, Monterio, the Monterio Hardesty move was, mm -hmm. was yeah. something that was talked about a lot. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily going to always be indicative of the way that things go. And I think that we get so caught up in what's splashy and what's not. And, you know, once upon a time, going, going out and getting a Joe Brady wasn't a splashy move, but right. it was the move that took LSU to a height that, you know, nobody could have foreseen. And that's not to say that Shane Beamer went out and made those types of moves, but the staff hires, I mean, I, I wouldn't get caught up in those big time resumes and all that. I mean, they need guys who are going to be willing to go in there and really rebuild a program that needs it from an offensive standpoint. They need that new identity. What Marcus Satterfield is going to have to do with that group is figure out where do we need to be able to improve at the quarterback position? Because if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance And South Carolina has not had a quarterback and it has not had a chance. So I think it's all, it's all going to come down to that. And I'm excited to see kind of what he's able to do with Luke Doty. That's the big question that everybody has, what he's going to look like in year two. I saw the comment from Shane Beamer. You know, his head's kind of swimming a little bit. All the quarterbacks are because they're learning a new offense. That's to be understood. But I think that if Marcus Satterfield is able to go in there and all of a sudden turn Luke Doty into one of the better quarterbacks in this league, we will be talking about that hire in a much, much different way. For sure. Connor, I want to jump into that in just a second. Let's talk recruiting first, though. Uh, obviously, when Coach Beamer got hired, you know, he's put in a tough spot as any coach that's newly hired is. You know, you basically have, what, a month and a half, two months to do a job that I feel like other coaches have been doing for three, four, five years and recruiting these young men, getting them on campus, whatever. You saw South Carolina really hammer the transfer portal. Guys like quarterback Jason Brown, EJ Jenkins, Jordan Strawn, Debo Williams, Amarian Brown, who I'm really excited about the transfer from Georgia Tech. Just talk about, of course, we all saw the rankings. You know, South Carolina ranked last in the SEC, I think around like 75th or so in the 247 rankings, if you will, which, again, I think was to be expected. You know, anytime you're going through that coaching change, you're going to lose a lot of guys, whatever. There's turnover. It is what it is. But 
What did you see? Was there anything, I guess, that surprised you on the recruiting trail? And what, what are your thoughts on the way Shane Beamer and company attacked the transfer portal? And I guess, you know, projecting in the future, what would you expect from South Carolina in the future in regards to recruiting? Because, again, I, I think once they're able – I think the big thing for them, and I think one of your colleagues actually said this, was – you know, South kind of being able to get guys on campus and get them in that facility and show them Williams Bryce and what the game day atmosphere can be like and will be like is a big deal for them. But again, your thoughts on the recruiting efforts thus far and kind of what you expect from Shane Beamer throughout his tenure at South Carolina. I don't judge these coaches who enter and have to have that really, really quick turnaround with the early signing period. Now it is impossible to judge these new coaches and especially if they're going into a situation where, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a rebuilding job. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was amazing a couple of years ago, or I guess that would have been the 2020 class where Sam Pittman went from 115th in the country to all of a sudden having a top 30 class mm -hmm. and the job that he was able to do. And he, I, I had him on the podcast uh, like a month and a half ago. And he said he slept four to six hours a night and the commitment to do that is just nuts because mm -hmm. you have to hire the staff. And when you're having your staff get poached, that's a different thing in itself. But I think South Carolina being active with the transfer portal, I think it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense because they need some veterans in there right now. Yeah. And you need some guys who you know as a head coach are truly bought into what you are selling. That's not always a given. That's mm -hmm. not always a given that the holdovers are always going to be bought into the new head coach. And I think the you know the, the kid from, uh, from St. Francis Brown, yep. the quarterback who comes in, who's got a lot of size, is really interesting. And how is he going to push Luke Doty? And is he really going to be that legitimate competition? Are we going to be seeing a, seeing a situation again where it's Mike Bobo, Colin Hill 2.0? I know South Carolina <laughs> fans listening to that probably just cover their ears like, please, God, no. Give me anything uh, but that. Yeah. But you have to be active in the portal in this day and age. And I like what he was able to do. And I wouldn't judge him based on that ranking. Yes, the talent in the state might not always be cranking out the five stars, the Jordan Birches of the world, but I think that those numbers are going to continue to improve. And if you establish that that year one where you're not a total disaster, you're right. You fall back on those facilities. You fall back on the fact that this is a $50 million investment into being able to upgrade and look like one of the big boys. And now South Carolina does. It's just being able to establish that foundation. That's what this year is all about. Let's talk quarterbacks, Connor, because, again, like you said, that, that's where it really all starts. You know, you, you can have the, the line and the running backs, and but if you don't have the guy under center in the SEC, like you said, you simply just don't have a chance. And I think you and I actually agree. You know, I get a lot of questions, of course, right now. Everybody wants to know who's the starting quarterback going to be? Who's the starting quarterback going to be? And it's funny, there's been this, this narrative, I feel like, since the last three games of, uh, you know, last season. Oh, people are questioning Luke Doty's throwing ability. And that got squashed really quickly. And Mar Marcus Satterfield said just a couple of days ago that yeah. he's a natural passer. I'm like, you know, there you go. Take it for what it's worth. But anyways, I think you and I agree on it. Because again, you've got Luke Doty, the freshman Colton Gothier. You've got the grad transfer in Jason Brown, who's everybody's excited about. Of course, he's got the measurables. I think he stands like 6'4", 235. And then big you've kid, got, yeah. Con yeah, big guy. And then you've got Connor Jordan. You know, when people ask me, gun to head, who I have to pick, who's going to be the starting quarterback, I tend to think it's going to be Luke Doty. Again, he's the guy with SEC experience, and I tell people a lot about Jason Brown. I think it's going to be a nice battle. I think it's going to go throughout spring, summer, and even in the fall, but St. Francis isn't the SEC, and that's not meant to be a slight at the kid at all, but this is just a different level, and I'm still really high on Luke Doty, his athleticism, what he brings to the table, and again, I think you and I agree that really for this South Carolina football team, if they're going to meet or even exceed expectations in 2021, whatever those expectations may be, it's going to start at the quarterback position and a guy like Luke Doty progressing and maturing in Marcus Satterfield's offense. In the same way that I don't think it's fair to judge Shane Beamer and his recruiting class ranking with the early signing period in that first class, I also kind of feel the same way about Luke Doty with what he had to deal with those last three games there where you have a team that's totally in flux and that is not an easy thing to step into in his spot. And as a true freshman, yeah, the throwing, it wasn't efficient. I mean, 5.7 yards per attempt. And yeah, you, you can complete some of those high percentage throws with him and he can move out of the pocket. I kind of thought that South Carolina fans were higher on him than, than I was. And I was kind of amazed at how much praise they were heaping onto him at the end of the season. And then I tried to put myself in their position. I'm thinking to myself, well, Ryan Holinsky, you look back at, you know, the mobility wasn't necessarily there at the level that Doty was. Obviously, Colin Hill was not that guy. And Jake Bentley wasn't that guy from a mobility standpoint as well. So it was almost like, hey, you're seeing something new at the quarterback position. It's kind of exciting that it's right. the blue chip recruit, the true freshman. 
So that makes it a little bit different for me. I'd like to be able to see him kind of get a chance in this offense. Now, I think he could have a short leash at quarterback because if you're not able to throw in this league, you just don't have a chance unless you are a super phenomenal, unbelievable athlete in the way of like a 2019 John Rice Plumley was where everybody knew John Rice Plumley was throwing the ball at the foot of the receiver. But if you can move like that and make those guys miss at this level, then you're valued and you're obviously a commodity. You can build an offense around that. So can Luke Doty establish that? I don't know. I want to see what his development truly looks like with a normal offseason. Remember, he didn't get that last year. Obviously, that's so important at the quarterback position. But that's where I think it'll probably end up going. And Shane Beamer has kind of hinted at that if you look at some of the, you know, some of the comments that we've seen from, from spring practice. But I think it deserves to be a true battle. And I don't necessarily think that he should be guaranteed the job all the way through. If he struggles, you got to make that change. Mm. Connor, let's talk about a position that I do not think is one that uh, there are many question marks around. That is the running back position. I I don't think any of us saw what Kevin Harris had in store coming. I don't think any of us predicted that type of season. You know, once Marshawn Loy went down in preseason camp last year, I was extremely concerned about the offense. And and we knew Kevin Harris was a capable back, don't get me wrong, but a thousand-yard season in an offense that – I think every defense knew that South Carolina was going to run the football, and he still ran it anyways extremely well. Now you're going to get Marshawn Lloyd back this fall. I think he's actually going through non-contact stuff in the spring, won't participate in the spring game, obviously, but he should be good to go for fall camp. And again, you feel like it's going to be that one-two punch, 1A, 1B with Lloyd and Harris. How good do you think this running back tandem could be when you compare it to the other tandems in the SEC? Now, this is a fascinating question for me because a lot of people I know a lot of South Carolina fans give you crap. I think a lot of South Carolina fans come after you guys a little bit. I bang the drum for for Kevin Harris, and I'll continue to do that. He's a member of my my all bang the drum team. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) I will tell everybody who wants to hear it that that Kevin Harris is the second leading returning rusher in all of college football. Brees Hall is the only returning running back in college football who had more rushing yards than him last year. I think he's phenomenal. And I think that what he did for the exact reason that you just brought up with all of those loaded boxes that he had to see, and he still had the home run ability. It yeah. wasn't like they just decided we're going to give you the ball 25, 30 times a game and you're getting to 120 yards. I thought right when I saw what he did against Florida, that was the moment when I realized this kid is, is better than we've been getting credit for giving him credit for. And he's more than capable of doing the job this year, which obviously South Carolina and having those good running backs that has been so few and far between it was during the latter half of the decade, especially. So mm. I, I can't wait to see what this looks like. I think that Kevin Harris, if he's not first team, all SEC running back coming into the season, despite the fact that the conference is loaded. And I mean, loaded at good tailbacks this year. I think that would be a mistake. I think that he will get that honor. It will probably be him. Isaiah Spiller, Tank Bigsby is considered mm. t- kind of the top three guys in the conference. But the good news, if you're Marshawn Lloyd, you don't necessarily have that same sort of pressure that you would have had last year. Mm -hmm. If he had come in last year, he was going to be the guy. He was going to be the starter. He was going to be the guy that they were going to build that offense around. Make no mistake about it. So you get to enter this situation where you get to kind of get your feet wet a little bit, and it might be frustrating at at times, especially if Kevin Harris continues to look like what he did last year. But Mm -hmm. I actually think that can be beneficial in the long term for a guy like that. You look at a guy like Najee Harris who really had to wait his turn and I thought by the time he was a end of end of his junior year into his senior year, he really benefited from that. He didn't have the same sort of wear and tear because he waited his turn and was able to get those looks still at the same time in meaningful games. So I think it could be one of the best one-two punches in America. I'm excited to see what these guys can do, and I just hope that there are no setbacks for Marshawn Lloyd. He doesn't have a Zamir White-like start to his career, and we're able to see him out on the field in 2021. Now, Connor, as a South Carolina fan, the thing I'm worried about going in this season, to be honest with you, is the defense. Um, you take a look, you've got 10 scholarship defensive backs on your roster right now. You lose guys like J.C. Horn, Isham McQuamu, John Dixon, Jamie Robinson, Keir Thomas. I mean, the, the transfer portal killed you. Obviously, with a coaching change, that's bound to happen. You do return guys like Aaron Sterling, Brad Johnson, Jordan Birch, Zach Pickens. There's talent there. But even Shane Beamer made the point of saying, you know, if we wanted to run threes versus threes right now, we just simply can't do it. We don't have yeah. the depth on that side. But you bring in Clayton White, and this question more so goes around something you said off-air, Connor, which is the four-two-five defense. You bring that into South Carolina, you bring that back, and I think a lot of fans are excited about the opportunity that presents you to get your athletes on the field, get guys moving in space. Again, we're all excited to see 
Jordan Burks, these newcomers like Jordan Strawn and Debo Williams. Just talk about how beneficial, not just even from South Carolina, but places you've seen other other schools as well, how the 4-2-5 can be beneficial for a defense and how you think it can help the athletes in South Carolina. Yeah, you have to do it. In this day and age, you just you see more and more teams doing that, running, you know, having having as many guys out there who can cover as possible. It's the name of the game. And it, especially in the SEC now with all of these teams that want to run these offenses that are going to spread you out. You need to have your athletes out there. Now, I think the biggest the biggest loss on that defense and one of the biggest losses in the SEC has to be J.C. Horn, of course. In my opinion, he's the top cornerback in the draft. Mm. I would take him over Patrick Sertan. I think he is that good. And I think that so much of what he did last year for those who just followed kind of casually was lost in the shuffle. Maybe they saw the Auburn game, what he did to Seth Williams. Mm. I would love to get those two guys in a room and just see kind of how they would talk about that day because it was so telling. But you take away a guy like that. You take away Israel McGrawmo and you see just what this defense is going to look like now without those two lockdown corners. And I think that, yeah, you have to be able to get as many of those guys out there as possible. So many SEC teams are running this modern offense where even a team like Kentucky with Eddie Grand last year, they have since pivoted to a much more pro-style offense. Liam Cohen runs the the, the Sean McVay-style offense. They want to run a lot of right. 12, 12 personnel. So it's just – it's a different time, and it's good to see that South Carolina is adapting with those times. Will Muschamp's great off, is a great defensive mind. I almost said offensive mind. That would have been a mistake. He's a great <laughs> defensive mind. He absolutely is. But I'm excited to see kind of what this evolves into, what this new system is going to be. I think running a 4-2-5 makes sense. You've seen teams like Mississippi State. They want to run a lot more of those – you know, those types of packages and have that, you know, with, with Zach Garnett there, I know they will like being able to have that, you know, more speed on the field at times because you need to be able to have that in this era of football. Mm. For sure. We also need to mention Ernest Jones. You lose him at the linebacker position. So there's going to be a lot to replace on that defensive side and Clayton, Wor- Clayton White and Shane Beamer and that crew definitely have their work cut out for them. I, I, moving into that, I want to move into expectations, Connor, for 2021 because, again, that's what fans want to talk about, right? You know, how many games are we, are we going to win this season? And, you know, we're kind of in the, the honeymoon phase right now, right? You know what I mean? And I talk to fans about that in the sense that everything's going great. You know, they're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. And, again, with the coaching change, I think it was so important to change the overall attitude and, and the vibe and just how fans felt about the program. You know, you see all these former players come back. But I like to tell people, and I'll tell you, Connor, my true measure of a team, what I like to see is once you hit adversity, how do you respond? Because South Carolina, at some point this season, is going to get punched in the mouth, right? The, the SEC, it's just going to happen. And it's how do they respond for me. But when you take a look at this 2021 season and first-year expectations for Shane Beamer, I think going 6-6 six and six and making a bowl game is realistic, especially when you talk about, you know, we're going to have normal schedules this year. We're going to have the non-conference. So for South Carolina, you're going to face teams like Eastern Illinois, Troy, East Carolina, that's three, I would say. You haven't lost to Vandy in, what, 12 years, 11 or 12 years. I'd say that's that's four wins, dare I say. Then you start looking at teams like Mizzou, maybe Kentucky, maybe Tennessee. You know, I think six is doable. What do you think are realistic expectations for Shane Beamer in his first year in Columbia? I'd say if you hit six, you got to feel great. Yeah. I don't necessarily think when I put together my crystal ball that I do every single August before the SEC season starts – and I'm able to actually like go through in all these games because we can throw out a number total right now, but until you actually have gone through the entire schedule and broken down, well, you can't have every team winning eight games. You just can't. Right, right, right. Then it's a little bit difficult to be able to assess that. But I would probably tend to if, if I'm if I'm picking six, you know, if I'm if six is the over under, I'm probably taking the under at this point, just because I still think that there are programs like Kentucky returns a ton of talent on the defensive end, and I think like I talked about the the adaptation of that offense is really going to help them. And they still have Chris Rodriguez back. Chris Rodriguez in the Kevin Harris camp of underappreciated running backs in college football. But I I think that this is a a team that should still feel decent about where it is. It's not like they're an Arkansas where Arkansas was dealing with a turnover that, and not even a Tennessee where if Tennessee doesn't get Henry Toto and Carreras crouch back, that is all of a sudden a very, very tough situation, especially from a defensive standpoint. South Carolina should be able to score points against a team like Tennessee. Yeah. Now, where where it gets murky is, okay, how are you going to look against Clemson? How are you going to look against Georgia? How are you going to look against Florida? Because 
I'm not holding my breath on that changing anytime soon. Right. We would need to see those drastic turnarounds. And they look good against Florida last year. Let's, let's not get it twisted. If Mike Bobo decides to actually run a two-minute offense, that's a one-score one game at the end. Right. But we don't have to get into that. Um, right. I, I think that South Carolina fans, if you get to a bowl game this year, you should be ecstatic. You should be feeling like those practices are really going to be beneficial. I always talk about that with a first-year coach, how important that is to be able to get those ex- that extra time and how valuable that can really be. So I, I think that if I'm setting the bar, five wins is probably the, the line that I would want to go at. Mm-hmm. And if I get anything over that, I'm feeling good. But set that bar low this year. Understand that it's year one with a new coach in this league. More times than not, man, that is a really, really uphill climb. Yeah, I would say probably I'd expect the Vegas over-under to be probably five. I think, like you said, I, I think that's pretty fair. I think that's about right. Um, Connor, this has been fun. I, I want to get one last thing, you know, fire one last thing at you before I let you go. And this is more of a college football-related question. Um, I'm curious as to get your take. You know, we had a lot of opt-outs and, and guys really utilizing the transfer portal last year with the COVID situation, the uncertainty of the season. Do you expect to see the opt-outs continue for guys that are maybe – you know, big draft guys that maybe, you know, they get through the first four or five weeks of the season, their team's out of it. They're not in the championship race anymore. Like, do you expect to continue to see that? Or do you think that was more of a, a one-year fad with, with the COVID situation? I don't think it'll be as high as last year because COVID gave everyone an out. Right. It, it did. And nobody's going to criticize. Nobody's going to be the person to criticize the person for opting out. Right, right, right. Though I, I, I do think it'll continue to a certain extent. I really do. And I think it's going to frustrate a lot of people because yeah. – We've been told that these bowl games matter and how much really matter. I, I don't know. We've seen guys who have been in situations where, you know, I go back to, you can go back to like the, the Nick Bosa thing mm. where that, that kind of really got the ball rolling with a guy who could have returned for a championship quality team. And instead said, you know what? I'd rather just train for the NFL draft. And nobody knocked him for it, and it didn't necessarily hurt him. I mean, he's still a phenomenal player, and that didn't hurt him in that regard. And, you know, the Jamar Chase thing, nobody's sitting here right now talking about whether or not Jamar Chase should have played this past season. They're talking about that 40 time. They're talking about how good he looks, despite the fact that he didn't play a season of football. So because we haven't seen that pushback, there's nothing to really de-incentivize it. Now, South Carolina was in a unique situation. If you're going to fire a head coach midseason, you're going to experience that. And it wasn't a surprise at all when they had the mass exodus that they did. I think it's frustrating as a fan base to understand that that is always a possibility. And if your coach is going to be fired midseason, that's just the risk that you take. But I I think that we'll see it in a different way. They're not necessarily going to have COVID to be able to fall back on. And, you know, the Jamie Newmans of the world at Georgia, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to see quite situations like that, but it's, it's not going anywhere until we figure out a way to kind of de-incentivize that. I think it's kind of here to stay. Connor, I'm curious. Were you surprised at the amount of firings last year? Because it's funny, you know, when you and yeah. I talked, I think during <laughs> the summer, for sure, we went in the season. We thought, you know, oh, this is just a free year for everybody. It's a free pass. And, and I kept telling people, I was like, you know, that's really easy to say in June and July and, and August. But you get into October and November and you're in the situation South Carolina's in. You're a two-win team and you're getting the doors blown off you week after week it's a lot harder to like, you know, say, Oh, it's just a free pass, whatever. But there were a lot of coaches that heads rolled last year. I mean, I think if it taught us anything, it's that, you know what, these schools might say money's a thing, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much I buy it. At least not for boosters. It's not, that's for damn, that's for damn sure. Yeah. And I think it would have been different if they had to make these decisions back in June when the right. economy was in a different place as well. Right. Cause I think that's such a big part of it. As we know, booster momentum is everything, but yeah, I mean, the buyouts are, I did not expect that by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I wrote before the season, Will Muschamp, Gus Malzahn, Derek Mason. I think those guys, it's going to be really difficult for their bosses to judge them on this year with all the moving pieces of COVID. I remember you, I remember you saying that. that. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I, I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. I did not expect <laughs> this year. All, all of them year, gone. Year. Yeah, uh, everybody, just get them all out yeah. of here. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible to think, you know, the SEC, we have eight programs that have either first or second year coaches. There has been massive, massive turnover in this league. 33 coaches in FBS last year who had buyouts of eight figures or more. That's just the name of the game. And it's, it's strange to see. And even at places like South Carolina, Hey, if you're going to spend $50 million on a football facility, I guess you can spend eight figures on a buyout, even during a pandemic. 
For sure. Connor, appreciate you taking the time. And last thing I'll say here, happy opening day. We are dropping this opening day. I know you're a Cubbies guy. I see you in the background. How you feel about the Cubbies this year? Obviously, I've got the Braves cap on, so I, I know uh, we're, we're both very excited for it. But how, how do you feel about the Cubs this year? Can we trade places? Can we trade places? <laughs> you get to, I mean, I don't take away 2016 from me. I don't, yeah. I don't want that. I'm not calling for that. But um, I'd be yeah. lying if I said I wasn't jealous of, of being in that phase of, like, the young and up-and-coming talent and – Oh, gosh, Acuna is going to be so fun to watch this year. I'm very cautiously optimistic about my Cubs, considering they just like basically handed over you Darvish after a borderline Cy Young season. But I'm just going to tell myself I had 2016. I had a stretch, a four year stretch that I never thought I'd get to experience as a Cub fan. I need to be eternally grateful for it and not complain about anything related to that. So life is good. 2016 i'm still within my five-year window so i can still brag about that for a little while longer but five -year window. yeah i mean it's, it's it's a better time to be a Braves fan than a cubs fan for sure well hey perspective at least we have baseball starting at a normal time this year that's the best way to look at it but connor seriously thank you so much for taking the time man this is a blast as always let's definitely do it again soon appreciate it man absolutely he's connor gear i'm chris Phillips. we appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time episode of the spurs up show time inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply